April 26, 2020. St. Louis is hitting its peak this week. None of this really matters without a vaccine, but, you know, less is better. Speaking of less is better, two words, Governor Parson. WTF, OMG, whatever. In what universe does opening up business May 4th make sense? In the words of Chris Rock, hey, there's always a reason to do something, anything. Sometimes the answer is just plainly, don't do it. If you gotta, wear that mask and keep your distance. There's a great 30-minute thing on Netflix. It's called Coronavirus Explained. It's not political, it's educational, and it's easy to understand. They do a really good job explaining certain parts of the virus. In one portion, they focus on the Spanish flu and how St. Louis, of all cities, quarantined, and Philadelphia did not. Want to guess which city had the worst time for years? FYI, St. Louis even pulled the plug too early on the round two, had to come back super strong, quarantine harder. And it worked. History, folks, let's at least this one time, this one time can we learn from it. The project also does a good job of looking into what we do with bats to curtail and predict future pandemics. Surprise, folks, we knew this was coming. Did you catch Brad Pitt on SNL last night? (laughs) It's brilliant. You got to YouTube it. I don't want to spoil it for you. Brad Pitt, COVID-19, SNL. Turning lemon into lemonades. Parks and Rec is coming. Parks and Rec is coming back to FIC April 30th. It's a planned one-timer. Only way that this gets done is because people's schedules opened up with the COVID-19. But if it's a huge success, might it come back? Time will tell. Some of you guys know that I work with a lot of restaurants, helping them create texting clubs. Let me hit you with a little knowledge. Let's take each brand, each industry, and talk about what percentage of that industry are national chains. So if you're a hamburger industry restaurant, 95% of all major chains. No shock. Mexican restaurants, 86% are chains. Sandwich places, 73% are chains. Pizza, 48% are chains. What does this mean moving forward? Two things. It's going to get even harder to find a good local Mexican or deli. They're going to get eaten up by the chains, at least for the short time. Second, pizza is the only category which is less than 50% controlled by national chains. So what does this mean? Time being, do not order Domino's. 70% of its business is takeout. Their prices are not going to be going up anytime soon, recession or not. Now, in St. Louis, we've got our thin crust thing, but now more than ever, Emo's, Pasta House, whomever, no Domino's, no Pizza Hut, no Little Caesars. Everybody's going to start serving breakfast. Options are going to be everywhere. If you work at Chipotle, you're not going to be sleeping in as much as you used to. Nothing new coming up restaurant-wise for the next two or three years. And when they do start popping up, expect them to have specific menus. You know, McDonald's is going to have, you can have everything you want at McDonald's, and that'll give them an upper hand. But I think if you look at restaurants like Chipotle, excuse me, if you look at restaurants like Chick-fil-A, they've got one thing they do well. They've got a duplicatable blueprint. Bring back noggles. Last topic before we move on to the three things you need to catch this week. Have you taken a step back and thought about dating moving forward? Okay, take a step back with me. I bet 90% or more of the married folks that are out there their current or past spouse, was in an environment that no longer is going to exist. No bar scene, no church function, no strip club, chuckle chuckle. We need a new way. My daughter's 23 out of school. I guess you interact with folks you work with, but that seems counterproductive with all of our Me Too stuff. More lemon and lemonades. Maybe divorce rates go down as meeting the right person seems harder to do and is harder to do. Three things you should catch if you have not. Kathy Madigan bothering Jesus. 
I'm a fan of the St. Louisan. She talks about her hometown towards the top of the special. She's always great. But her part on how Catholics are not supposed to talk directly to Jesus, that is a Hall of Fame bit. Jim Gaffigan eating his way around the world. It's a YouTube thing. You got to go to YouTube to find it. He was recently in St. Louis for about four shows, I think. He's got two segments that are up. He talks about Emo's Pizza, Toasted Ravs, Gooey Butter Cake, and here's the cool thing. He liked them. He liked all three, so that's good. Last of the trifecta, things to catch, local news. I like five, but to each his own. Watch your local news. Now, I still watch the national stuff, but if forced to choose one, watch your local news and stay connected. That being said, two, four, and five, less weather wouldn't kill you. Okay, today's episode, let me set this up for you. About two months ago, I reached out to Dan Buck and his folks regarding the Powerplex project in Hazelwood. It's going to be great for North County and St. Louis. I've always been a fan of Dan since his days with St. Patrick's Center, but I had my dates crossed. I had it on Monday. He calls me last Friday. He wants to set it up. He can fit me into his day around noon. They've got a new coronavirus survey they're trying to get out, so I'm like, absolutely, let's knock this out. So, I've converted my office at the crib into a media center of sorts. Got the better webcam, the virtual background, the lights, the green screen, the mic, everything. But it's not ready to go on Friday, so it's time to go back to old school. Well, in the kitchen, and Dan's a pro. He rolls with it. I think we got some good information out there, both about the project and Dan himself. It's not like the other previous podcasts I've had, where maybe we talked more about the person and then the project. But we got around to it, and Dan was very nice off-camera about the experience when we were done. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast. The video of this is on YouTube. Search Dan Buck or OT with Oliver. And be prepared for a St. Louis 7 Blitz this week in the new office media empire. Ladies and gentlemen, my favorite Buck, not related to Jack, Dan Buck. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver with my dad. Tell your friends. And welcome to the first Overtime with Oliver live, actually, videoed podcast. Today's guest is a St. Louis icon that you've seen in various forms and shapes, Mr. Dan Buck. Thank you very much for coming on, Dan. Man, what a title, icon. That, that's the first time I think I've ever been called an icon. I like that. At least to your face, right? Yeah, exactly. In your own mind, right? All right, so in an effort to start somewhere... Uh, we got together pre-coronavirus, set up a time where we were going to talk a lot about your past and then also your current passion, the Powerplex in uh, Hazelwood. This is in Hazelwood, correct? It is, right. Uh, we were kind of the, the development is in two communities. We have part of it in Bridgeton and the main campus is over on the Hazelwood side. And for people who should know and maybe don't know as much as they should, what you're doing is just it's fascinating and it's timely and you're taking what was St. Louis Mills and you're converting it into a sports complex, kind of a destination sports complex for people all around the Midwest to come and really rejuvenate that part of our town. Yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable campus. I mean, so many empty malls in America are 30, 40 years old, and they're the tired campuses. This, this mall is only 15 years old. It cost $256 million to build in 2004. And, um, you know, when you look back at, at the history, it's been pretty gently used. Uh, you know, when Simon bought the property and moved all the tenants out and moved them down into Chesterfield Valley, it left a huge void in this mall. And one store at a time, it has continued to the point it is now where it's 92% vacant. So 
Um, but the infrastructure is incredible. The egress is amazing. The parking is incredible. And what's probably most remarkable about this campus is how quickly and easily we can convert it into a major youth sports destination. We've got movie theaters, we got go-karts, we got an ice rink, um, and then just converting big box stores into volleyball, basketball, baseball, softball, lacrosse, wrestling, dance, cheer, uh, putting ball fields on the parking lots with uh, a huge stadium and a large dome. It's, it's amazing how quickly we'll be able to convert it and really at a very affordable price and repurpose this incredible campus into something pretty special. And probably give yourself a blueprint, blueprint to use elsewhere. Yeah, just a few empty malls in America, right, David? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, 274 empty malls as we speak today. They say another 300 malls will become vacant over the next three to five years. And, and we've not found what we feel is a better repurposing of a mall than what we're doing here. Um, this is going to be remarkable. It's going to show people that these... Uh, liabilities and eyesores can really be converted into an asset and something special for communities. Because a couple years ago, I was watching something, I think we talked about this when we set up the interview, it was with uh, Brian Gumbel, I think, and it was talking about ghost towns and how people were taking these parts of the country, converting them and, and really being quite successful at it. Um, what's the biggest difference between that, what they were doing a couple years ago and what you're doing with the malls now? Well, this is all part of a, an industry called youth sports tourism, and it's the fastest growing sector of the American tourism market. Nothing else even close. Uh, not theme parks. Uh, they're declining. Not national parks. Uh, we see the numbers at the arch continuing to decline. Um, you know, e even the larger theme parks, the Walt Disney Worlds, the Dolly Worlds, uh, they're building youth sports complexes on their campuses because they recognize that more and more young families in America are spending their vacation time, their vacation money, following their kids around and going to ballparks instead of theme parks. So what they're doing is they're obviously bringing those theme parks. And that's our philosophy, too, as well. We want to create really a magical place. Um, I was a coach for 22 years and, and lived this life with my kids going around the country playing ball. And I was always amazed at what a what a take, take, take world it is. It, they take your money, they take your roster, and they take your insurance card, and you never see the tournament director the rest of the weekend. And, um, and more importantly, they're not giving you concierge services. They're not telling you where to go eat. You know, you walk into a restaurant in most places in the country, you walk in, you say, I got a party of 40. Uh, we all have separate checks, but we want to sit together. Is that possible? And look at you like you got three heads, right? Um, we want to make that experience amazing. We want people to be able to come into a campus where we have 13 restaurants. They get a great diversity of food options. And more importantly, every one of those restaurants is designed for the youth sports family. Um, their POS systems, how they take orders, how they deliver orders, how they give you, you know, comprehensive services. And more importantly, they don't just know how to deal with a um, party of 40 and not just a party of 40, but you got 60 parties of 40 when a pool lets out and all these these um, these people want to eat. Their design, their entire system is designed around how to serve those families more effectively. Usually it takes two hours for a team to eat by the time you get your drink order in, by the time you get your regular order in. Uh, kitchens aren't, aren't used to serving tables of 40. These restaurants will be totally designed and operate to move that food quickly and make it a 45 minute eating experience so that families can go have fun and, and do other things. And that's just, that's one of the many small things that'll make the PowerFlex so much different than other venues in the country. So not to put a pin in the excitement, but how's that looking today than it was six months ago? 
Yeah, COVID-19 was not in the strategic plan, as you might imagine. Um, you know, everybody in the country, I think, is kind of in a sitting, uh, a wait and see. Uh, we initiated, actually today, we initiated a national survey of sports families, and um, we've got uh, tons of national organizations, associations, um, sports clubs, and, and facilities all over the country that are pushing this out. Because the voice we've not heard from yet, we all want to open, we all want to get our doors you know, ready, we want to be able to have play. But the real question is, and the only voice that matters in all of this, is the youth sports family, the parent. Uh, we've got to hear from them. We've got to know what their thoughts are, what their opinions are, you know, where's their pulse on, on a post-COVID world. Uh, we know we've got to be better. We know we've gonna, we're going to have to put uh, safety measures and security measures in place that weren't there previously to protect families and have more sanitation, having social distancing and how we seat people and how we, we move people around a venue. But um, the, the sports survey takes about three minutes, but it's going to be – great to get this feedback from thousands of families and a multitude of sports from all over the United States and really get a feel for how quickly these sports families are going to return and at what level uh, of enthusiasm and participation are we, are we going to see in a post-COVID world. And where can we go to take that survey? Yeah, sportssurveys.org, real simple to remember. Um, there's three or four surveys on that site, but the one you'll see a big banner right across the homepage. If you go to sports surveys.org. Uh, you'll see take the COVID uh, survey and that'll launch you straight into the 11 questions and literally it'll take you three minutes, but it's invaluable information. If you are a sports family, we really want to hear from you and, and get your feedback. And the organization putting it on, Play Partners, is a nonprofit that we started here in St. Louis just to try to bring a voice and an advocate to you sports families. I think sometimes um, they're just not heard uh, their priorities and what they need and what they want um, is goes unnoticed. And while a lot of organizations and, and facilities think they know what the families want, uh, we really don't give them the opportunity. So that's what Play Partners is all about, is trying to bridge that gap and be a, a think tank and a collaborator that everybody can get some real-time data from the families. And using ballparks as we have to nowadays, are, are you thinking fourth quarter of this year? Or you, do you have a time frame? Well, you know, we, we will be under construction all summer and, and through the fall. Our hope is that people will be at full force and back into this industry, you know, um, at, at full tilt by the time we open in January of next year with all of our venues. Um, some of them will be opening up in late fall, November, December, but the whole venue should be completed in phase one um, by January. So, uh, you know, our hope is that 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 we also do already have, you know, 10 volleyball courts. We already have a baseball training center that's up and running, getting those reopened and getting kids back into the training aspects, which uh, the Powerplex is a huge training uh, venue as well as a competitive tournament site. Um, we really want to kind of get a pulse from parents of when that activity is going to start. Uh, some say immediately, I think, and, and others may say it may be six months to a year. Who knows? Um, that's why this, this information is going to be invaluable. I think the Midwest is going to be in a better position, and you can, you know, put normal logic to that, David. We've not seen the same kind of COVID outbreaks through most of the Midwestern states that we've seen in, on the coast, um, West Coast and East Coast, especially in the Northeast. But um, I think we're going to uh, see that maybe families in the Midwest are going to be a little quicker and a little more eager to get back to uh, normal activities. When we are up and running, is this typically a Thursday through Sunday kind of a thing? 
No, you know, we, uh, you know, in fact, we just had a, a great call with a, a national baseball provider. Um, they want to come in and take a, a, a large chunk of, uh, of the month of June and, and make it a, a Monday through Sunday event. They'll have seven day tournaments. They'll have tons of camps and clinics and uh, recreational activities. They love our venue because we can kayak, we can fish, we can rock climb, we can zip line and give those kids who are here for a whole week a lot of things to do. Uh, besides just play a great baseball tournament. So um, our goal is that many of our tournaments, especially in those summer months, can be five to seven days long and, and give families a great vacation experience while they're also getting some competitive play. Weekends, I mean, during the school year, obviously, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is when the youth tournaments will run. Uh, but we're getting a ton of interest because of our turf fields and the giant dome and the large uh, venues that we'll have inside the space. A lot of colleges we think are gonna flock to this venue to be able to play weekday games and, and really keep us busy uh, Monday through Sunday. Are you a possible site for like a Nike tournament and that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, uh, you know, with, with Bradley Beal being one of our partners and, and running Bradley Beal Elite, which is a, is a Nike um, club basketball team and one of the top clubs in the country. We know that uh, we certainly will be hosting a lot of Bradley Beal's uh, major basketball events here as well. So we talked about growing up in St. Louis and the ball that you used to play. Uh, everybody always has to be asked on the show, where'd you go to high school and what do you remember about it? Well, I grew up here as a, as a child, went to St. Rock's Elementary, then moved to uh, Monmouth, Illinois. So I can't claim the uh, high school um, but I did come back here for college. I played baseball over at SIU Edwardsville for a couple of years and, and then graduated from Ford Hayes State University. But, uh, you know, my mom and dad's family both are here and all my cousins and aunts and uncles all still live here. So St. Louis is, is definitely home, even though I don't have the uh, high school to tout. I graduated as a Monmouth zipper uh, and played uh, my high school baseball and football up there. What was your favorite sport? You know, baseball by far. I mean, I just think it's an amazing game. Abner knew what he was doing when he, when he created this game. It teaches you so much about uh, failure recovery and leadership and teamwork and being able to, you know, I always say it's, um, people think it's a slow game, don't understand it. There's so much thinking, there's so much strategy. Um, football, I like the physicality of it. I, I love to hit people and be hit. And, and it's kind of weird that I like to be hit but as a wide receiver, you either like it or, or you don't catch very many passes. So, uh, you know, I like the physicality of it, but I, there's obviously just not as much of a mental game and not, I never felt there was quite as much strategy as a pitcher in college. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a game. You, you have uh, 25 to 35, hopefully fewer um, battles every game that you have to enter with a different strategy about. And uh, I always looked at every hitter as the new conquest and, and the game is just special. Um, that's, what's led me to kind of ending my career doing what we're going to be doing here at the Powerplex. Want to share that great sport. And as you know, too, the numbers are, are really depleting, especially in the inner city and, and with African-American kids. And um, do we still have the RBI program? Well, they do, um, you know, and it has great participation. The RBI program has done a great job of, of introducing the game to people. And unfortunately it has never advanced to the club level. Um, and, and if you want to play this game at any serious uh, level, you've got to have the same kind of reps and the same kind of skill development that the club kids are getting. And the RBI program is just not designed or built to do that. Uh, they have started, however, and we plan to hopefully host one of those. We're working with the Cardinals to have an urban youth academy. That is exactly that. It'll be a highly structured 
and Major League Baseball makes no excuses for their Major League Baseball academies. Um, the, the MLB academies are development programs. I think they recognize that they've spent um, millions of, of dollars down in, in um, you know, Central America and through the Dominican and through other places while watching their African-American numbers in America plummet. Um, I believe the number in 1990 in Major League Baseball, there was 20% of all major leaguers were African-American. That number today is like 7%. So um, they know they've got a crisis on their hands and they've got all of this great athleticism that's in their urban core. They're playing basketball and football and running track, but they're not being introduced to the game of baseball. And our, our big goal being where we're located and being up here in North County, having a great opportunity to introduce this great game to a lot of great athletes and getting them engaged early and giving them the same opportunity and access to this phenomenal game of baseball and giving them a, a chance to play it equally with football and track and basketball, um, but giving them another path. I mean, so many kids, they're all fighting for that basketball scholarship and there's only so many of them. Uh, we lose a lot of athleticism to sports that they, they can't move on in when they, if they would have applied that athleticism, we could have had uh, several more Aaron Judds of the world, you know, um, big, strong, athletic kids who can hit a ball a mile. Um, but if they're not given the opportunity and given the reps and given the right instruction, they'll, they'll never play this game at a high level. So it's a priority of the Cardinals. It's a priority of Major League Baseball to use this incredible campus um, to, to train and open the door to the game of baseball and softball to um, the African-American community and other minority groups that don't play this game at a very high level. Um, or just don't really have access to the game at all. How many instructors do you think you'll have on site? Um, well, you know, we will have probably from a baseball softball perspective, about 200 teams that will headquarter out of here. Not all of those will be power plex and, and major league baseball teams. We have a lot of great club relationships that are going to headquarter out of here. Um, but those 200 teams um, as part of their condition to come in here is that many of them will have to agree as part of their lease agreement that they'll take graduates of the of the academy. So um, hoping to integrate kids as we get them up to the talent level they need to be to be able to compete, that we'll have a place to place them in the club world after we give them two or three years of great training. Um, and then of course, they'll, they'll also continue to get training through the academy all the way through their high school years. I mean, the goal here is to create college scholarships uh, in that particular program, is to create high, high achieving, highly skilled ball players for both girls and uh, for boys and, and create draft choices. Um, you know, our, our goal is to give MLB uh, a good uh, taste of how great St. Louis is as a sports community and giving them some great talented kids. It's also a very student driven. The Major League Baseball, as you know, uh, has leaned heav more heavily on the college ranks as their minor league development system. Um, it used to be that a kid at 18 could go into the minors and and go walk his way through the minor league system. More and more major leagues, uh, scouts and, and ball clubs are drafting out of the college ranks. They wanna see that the kid has the ability to do that balance of academics. So our academy will be equally as a focused on the student side of the student athlete and really giving great tutoring and academics and really helping them get a great ACT score so that they can play at those college levels. We know we'll give them the, the skill set and, and athleticism and, and ability to play baseball and softball at a high level. Um, but the goal is to give them also a great academic foundation that'll pay dividends long after their playing days are over. I mean, obviously you can hear the passion in your voice. When you left college, when you graduated, were you trying to get into sports to be a coach or something? Well, I was a, you know, um, I was a, 
pretty good ball player and had, had aspirations. I broke my throwing hand my junior year of college, which put a big damper on, uh, I went from throwing about 92 to about 88. So uh, that's a big difference in, in the uh, recruiting world and, and lost my slider. I couldn't, uh, couldn't turn it quite as hard as I could after I broke my metacarpal and uh, tried to battle back. But um, the next best thing was sportscasting. I couldn't play it. So I went into sportscasting, spent eight years as a sportscaster and then moved over to the entertainment side and the news side um, about 10, eight, 10 years into my career. And that's where I hosted Show Me St. Louis for nine years as a entertainment anchor and reporter and, and did talk radio as well. On the sports casting side, pressure with the last name? Hell yeah. Jack and I used to j joke a, lo uh, a lot about it. I'd be like, why don't you just adopt me? Everybody thinks I'm your kid, you know, <laughs> uh, especially being in St. Louis, being a broadcaster. Um, and he had a son named Dan. So that made it even more confusing. And it was funny uh, between his, you know, uh, two marriages, he has eight kids. And I kept going, Jack, if you adopted me, you'd have your own baseball team and I can pitch and I can help you out. Uh, and he always laughed at that. But uh, he and Carol have just been, they were nothing but inviting and welcoming. My dad uh, was his insurance man for many years. I've known Jack since I was a little boy. And, um, you know, just the fact that uh, he embraced me and my family when we got here. I offered, I'll never forget when I got my first job at Channel 4, I called him up and I said, you know, Jack, he helped me actually get the interview at Channel 4. And he said, uh, I said, Jack, would would you like if I came on the, um, you know, scene in St. Louis and I used my mom's maiden name? And my dad had passed away just a couple of years before I made it back to St. Louis. And and I'll never forget Jack's response. He said, your old man would be rolling over in his grave that you and I are having this conversation. He said, your name's Buck, right? I said, yeah. And he said, well, use it proudly. And if you're worth the damn, I'll claim you. And, uh, you know, he was a great mentor. And and Joe, too, um, has been a good friend and a guy who also has, uh, you know, been a – he's got an amazing career. And what he's done with um, the legacy of the Buck name and the, and the Buck family, uh, he didn't need another son, that's for sure. Jack's done – I mean, Joe's done an incredible job of, of carrying on that Jack Buck legacy. You, know, you talked about your baseball career, how you threw 92, and then you hurt your hand and it went down to 84, 80, whatever. Uh, Joe was at 80 thinking he was at 92. It just never made the conversion. <laughs> yeah, I heard he pitched at Ledoux. I never got a chance to see him play, but uh, was he pretty good? Uh, he went to Country Day, and oh, Country I went Day. to Priory. Yeah. And uh, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I think he would admit that he didn't mind seeing me at the plate, and I didn't mean, I didn't mind seeing him guard me in basketball. Oh, I got you. Well, I, I know he uh, hits the heck out of a golf ball. If he played baseball with the same vigor and, and skill that he plays golf, uh, he must have been pretty good because that guy can absolutely smoke a golf ball. How'd you end up over at St. Patrick's? You know, 9-11 impacted me pretty, um, pretty profoundly. I, I remember... Um, you know, uh, it, was, it was the week after 9-11 and, and I was, you know, wall-to-wall -wall coverage. I was the morning anchor at, at KTRS working from five in the morning till 10 in the morning. Then I'd leave there and I'd go do my TV job. I was putting in 14, 15 hour days. And, um, you know, I um, went to one of my daughter's softball games. It was about maybe 10, 15 days after 9-11 and the fields reopened and we were all kind of trying to get back to normal. And, my daughter could throw the heck out of a softball from the time she was a little girl. And uh, she walked the park that day. I think she struck out 18, but walked 21. And um, 
we were driving home and she said to me, she's, I said, Tina, a little wild today, you know, what's wrong? And she said, dad, don't talk to me. She said, uh, you, you haven't played catch with me or caught me or helped me in, in several weeks. And it was just kind of this aha moment. Right. And I went, Whoa, you know, here I am busting my butt and trying to, you know, make a living, but didn't have a life. Uh, and, um, it was just this kind of a, an epiphany of maybe I got a different calling. I can do something else. I can, uh, didn't know what it was. I, I remember I quit my TV job. My wife freaked out because I didn't have another job at the time. I was just going to do radio. I did have a production company. That was another thing I had going at the time. I, I had a, a pretty robust uh, video production company. So I'm doing three jobs and not seeing my kids and not, not coaching my daughter. And I had a lot to give um, in terms of, of time and talent. I love coaching but it just wasn't a priority. And 9-11 kind of set me straight. It was like, hey, look at your life. What more can you do? At the same time, I was given a book called A Purpose Driven Life um, by Rick Warren, and it changed my life. It was one of those books that you, you're reading it and you're feeling like he wrote the book at you, not, not uh, to anyone else but you, because everything he talked about was things I was failing at. Um, but what I loved about the book is it gave you practical things you could do in your life to, to move forward. And one of them was uh, to become a servant leader and finding ways you can use your talent in other ways. So um, was having a casual conversation on a radio show um, with somebody. I can't remember. I think the topic was HUD, Housing and Urban Development. And I got a little critical um, saying that government can't do it as well as nonprofits and that we need to reinvest in nonprofit organizations and and let HUD uh, fund vouchers, but turn it over to organizations. And one of the organizations I mentioned was St. Patrick's Center. Uh, the board chair heard it and, and they were in the middle of a job search and he called me up and just said, hey, would you like to have lunch? And I'm like, for what? You know, <laughs> I had no idea. And one thing led to another. And the more I talked about it, the more I prayed about it, the more I kind of just said, you know, hey, is this the path I'm supposed to go down? I was a fish out of water, as you can imagine, for the first six months. I'm like, I'm a broadcaster. What am I doing in this massive $7 million social service agency? And um, God made it pretty clear pretty quick, though, what, I, what my role was there. And that was just a, I didn't need to build a great organization. It was already in place. I just had to put a big bright light on it. And because of my media and marketing background, I was able to, to help put it where it needed to be. And that was at the forefront of the conversation of homelessness. And uh, it is truly one of the greatest organizations in America. And if you don't support it, uh, I strongly encourage you to look at what they do. Uh, uh, they put their money where their mouth is. There's a lot of organizations out there. And, uh, you know, I, I've worked with other organizations that, that I didn't, don't have the same passion for, but St. Patrick's Center gets it right. They, they uh, deliver what they promise and they promise what they deliver. Um, uh, and that's outcomes. They, they, don't, they don't manage homelessness. They end it for people. And I think that uh, that's what drew me to it. That's what kept me there for eight years and um, moved over to another Catholic organization, uh, SSM Healthcare and Cardinal Glennon and uh, some good work gets done over there. But I will tell you those eight years at St. Patrick's Center were truly remarkable. I don't know many on-air personalities who don't have a pretty healthy ego. How were you able to keep that in check when you first got over to St. Patrick's? I think, um, I think that's what led me to St. Patrick's Center was I recognized that my priorities were screwed up and, and what was important um, pre 9-11 wasn't important post 9-11. And it, it gave me a unique opportunity, I guess, to also reflect on what another role in my life is, and that's a father, you know, got lots of guilt. <laughs> 
lots of guilt for those years I wasn't there for those kids. You know, the good news was is that most of them were pretty young. Katie and, and Quinn were, were pretty young when I left broadcasting. Uh, so I have been there for them. But uh, I think ego works in two ways. One, it can, it can derail you and, and uh, make you do some stupid things. And um, ego can also check you, you, know, check you up and, and tell you that you're not delivering what's really important. And so I think, um, you know, it was the ego that kind of said, hey, do you want to be a sportscaster or do you want to impact lives, really impact lives? And uh, that's what, um, you know. And how old were you at the time? I was just turning 40. I was 41 the year I started at uh, St. Patrick's Center. It's in that moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 20 years in broadcasting and, you know, thought I'd figured it out and thought I, you know, had the path forward. And, uh, you know, God's, God's plan is always perfect and always better than what you think. And, and it has been. Those, uh, those years at St. Patrick's Center, not only were they more meaningful years, but also that fatherly, the, the things I was able to do as a father during those years was, was remarkable. And also, you know, being a better husband to my wife, Holly, and, you know, she stuck through me and, and trusted me in some of those decisions. Trust me, there were days I'm like, what am I doing, you know? Uh, took a major cut in salary. <laughs> we just built a big new house, and I'm like, "Okay, Lord, how's this gonna work out?" But even downsizing your your house, what what a blessing that was. You know, I was losing kids. We had a house so big, I'd lose kids for days at a time. And uh, you know, the, the kitchen table at, at the new house became the center of our world. It was where kids did their homework, and they, they didn't like staying in their rooms because they were so small. And and it just changed the whole dynamics of our family when we cut our house size in half and um, you know, it, it caused a, a few sacrifices. Couldn't be a country club member anymore. Couldn't do a lot of the things we did before, but man, were we happier. It was just such a better, better life around the Buckhouse, um, you know, and still is. I, I, I got to say, my wife, uh, we, we downsized yet again after the kids all went away to college and moved into a small villa. And, and uh, man, do I, don't, I don't miss the yard work at all. Um, so anyway, I just think that... Uh, you know, life's got a, got a journey and life's got a purpose and we all have an opportunity to do some unique things. And, and I'm just blessed. I've had really um, a three phase life, you know, broadcasting uh, 12 years as a nonprofit executive. And then to be where I'm at today, doing really a combination of everything. It's, it's part of my corporate background. It's part of my marketing background. And more importantly, it's my passion for youth sports and to have that all bundled up and, and lumped into one great job with some great investors and some, phenomenal community partners who believe in this project it's 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 amazing it's awesome in a perfect world is this your last gig yeah yeah you know only got so many years left in the tank right um but no this is this is um a culmination of a lot of passions of mine and to be able to have it all rolled together and and to be able to end the last 10 to 15 years of my professional career doing what i love and that's being around kids and and coaching and making a real impact and and uh, while the youth sports industry is big, it, it's broken. And I want to, you know, and I've got a team of people and an incredible group of, of employees and, and great investors and people who believe as we believe that we can fix it. Uh, maybe not the whole industry and maybe not the, you know, my mom had, had a great expression. We're not called to change the world. We're just, we're called to change the world around us, right? And, and I think we have that unique opportunity here in St. Louis to change the culture of youth sports. Um, Mike Matheny, who's been a dear friend and a great ambassador of this project, 
You know, he says that all the time. It's not lack of love out there. I mean, parents love their kids. Um, it's just lack of education. If they really knew um, some of the damage they do to kids by putting undue pressure to win and, and to push, um, you know, single sport way too early and maybe um, not prioritizing what's really important in youth sports, let your kid fail, let them fall on their face, let them, you know, let them, let them fail and tell them there's, the sun comes up tomorrow and there's a new day. But instead we, we get, sometimes as parents, we get really protective of our kids and we always want to blame a coach or we want to blame an umpire or we want to blame somebody else when, you're, when your kid doesn't do well. No, failure is part of the equation. You know, it's part of what makes you stronger. And, you know, I don't know if it's just because I grew up with mom and dad who just, you know, they, they made no excuses. They always had the, the coaches back. They always had a, you know, they always had a, uh, um, a reason and usually it was always directed at me that I wasn't working hard enough or I needed to buck up and quit complaining. And if I was sitting on the bench, it's because you got to earn a spot. It's not given to you. And, and never was it finger pointing at a coach or finger pointing at an umpire who, who gave you a raw deal. Um, I just think we, we as a society have kind of lost our focus on what should be important in youth sports. Um, and that's not, I, I, I hate to even talk like this because it's not in generalities. It's not all parents. I think there's a lot of great coaches and parents out there doing it right. Um, I just think PowerPlex can be a, a, a place where we can start a conversation that's not going on with a lot of families. And, and as Mike said, it's not lack of love, it's lack of education. So if we can put some educational opportunities in place and to let them know, I mean, the anxiety, the stress, the suicide that we're seeing in young athletes because the pressure's too much. Are you kidding me? This should be about joy and fun and, you know, exercise and getting out there and just, you know, loving the thrill of competition. And, you know, David, we, man, we've lost that. We've, we, we have turned this thing into a me, me, me world. And some of these athletes are, and I've coached a few of them, and I just scratch my head going, do they know this is a team sport? Do they understand right. that they're only as good as their weakest player, but instead they're critical of their teammates, they're critical when somebody else makes an out, even though they booted a ball in the second inning that cost them two runs. And, and it, it doesn't always come from the kid either. We know where those behaviors are, are learned, right? Um, or they're batting eighth in the lineup, they want to complain. You know, just be glad you're in the lineup and you're having fun and don't worry about where you are and go four for four in the eight hole. And guess what? You'll be in the two hole before you know it, you know? Um, so, you know, we, we just, we feel like there's a unique opportunity uh, here at the PowerPlex to, to um, impact the culture and make, make youth sports fun again. How do you guard against chasing the dollar? Because you got bills, you've got sponsorships and oh, you've yeah. got a hit. Um, I would imagine trying to make sure you don't get too elite would be a pressure. Yeah, no question. And we've done our homework. We, we've studied models all over the country. We know their financials. We know how they were built, mainly because most of them are public uh, entities where they've um, you know, all been, been bought and purchased with public dollars. Um, but what, what we think is missing from that equation and the reason why it's gotten so expensive is most venues in the country are solely dependent for the most part on sports income um, and when you have a campus that's solely dependent on, on creating tournament fees and and hotel fees and and admission fees and concession fees if that's your only business model you're in trouble i mean or you're in trouble or you just got to make it so expensive and and it becomes where you know only 15 or 20 percent of teams can even afford your your team entry fees what we've built here and the business model we've created is so unique it's a public-private partnership. So it's 
both private money and public money to help build it. So nobody has to take on too much of the debt, whether it be a municipality or a private entity. And then also just having a ton of partners who all share in the benefits of the visitors, restaurants, retailers, movie theaters, go-kart operators, other people. And they all agree to a rev share model that comes back and supports the mothership. Now nobody has to charge too much money. Everybody's in this together. We all work together in between lease income, sponsor income, and being able to work collaboratively and, and with all of the partners who benefit from the sports visitors, um, we can keep the sports piece of it very affordable. And that's our goal. We we know um, we got to pay our bills. We got to make sure that the bonds are paid and the, and the loans are paid. But at the end of the day, we think we can run a phenomenal sports campus without gouging the parents. Might be a stupid idea, but do you have partnerships with like the zoo or the science center or places where you can kind of funnel the visitors to go see other parts of St. Louis? Yeah, in fact, you, we have a visitor center planned in the, in the space, and we've got uh, 10 different uh, vendor spaces that we plan to set up that's just what you talked about, is when you're in St. Louis, we want you to experience this whole community. And the Convention and Visitors Commission is one of our largest funders. They're given $6 million to help create our ball fields and our stadium. And they're not doing that because they like us, right? They're doing that because they recognize that these families are not just here for sports. They're gonna go to Cardinal games. They're gonna wanna go to the arch. They're gonna wanna go to the zoo, especially when we get the new um, zoo safari up here in North County, which will only be about 15 minutes from our campus. And we're only, we're only 20 minutes from downtown. So, um, you know, the ability to get people uh, here and get them to the Science Center and the Magic House and Six Flags. I mean, we plan to share our visitors with the whole community and provide bus transportation. The key there, I think, is gonna be getting people around in a organized and concise manner. Um, and that's through some aggressive um, busing programs, opportunities for either public transit or private transit. And when I say public transit, um, we may have some expresses that can run directly to Cardinal Games, for example. You can imagine how many of our sports families in the summertime are gonna to wanna to go down and watch a Cardinal game. Uh, we want to be able to provide, you know, some express buses that can pick them up at our curb, not have to worry about the parking. And so many families will be coming from Iowa and Nebraska and Arkansas and, and Minnesota. They don't want to have to deal with that downtown traffic or where to park or what to do. And to be able to do door-to-door -door delivery of, of hundreds of people every night. Uh, we're working with the Cardinals on maybe having a powerplex zone in Bush Stadium that every night we're filling 250 to 300. Uh, working with the zoo to have... Um, you know, discounted things. And then those little, in our visitor center, having those different places where people can walk up and, and talk to, to volunteers from those organizations and find out what it's all about and where in their game schedule does it work best for them to get out and, and explore St. Louis. Fantastic, okay. Uh, a couple quick questions and then we'll let you go. Mm -hmm. Again, really appreciate the time. We're gonna look back at this four or five years from now and remember how we all started with the video thing. Um, Things people in St. Louis can do to help the PowerPlex. Are you looking for volunteers? How can people contribute? Because what I like about this idea, a couple of things. One is, I love the fact you're not tearing things down. A lot of money went into building those facilities and just all that money going to waste. I love the fact that you're not doing that. Secondarily, I do think it gives people more of an opportunity to see other things in St. Louis because they're coming with their kids to do a thing, now they're stuck here and they got a week to kill. What can St. Louisans do to help the PowerPlex? 
all kinds of different ways that, that people can engage. I mean, number one, if you're a sports family, come out and play with us. You know, when we get our schedules uh, launched here this summer and we, we start announcing both our volleyball and basketball and baseball and softball schedules, we hope people will register and, and support. Uh, also, if you have practice needs, team needs, birthday parties, uh, we're open all, you know, all year long, 363 days a year. Christmas and Easter will be the only two days we probably shut down. Uh, we're going to have great opportunities for, you know, having just families come out and enjoy, you know, whether it be the movie theaters or the restaurants or the retail or, or going to the ropes courses or the rock climbing or the, we'll have kayaking eight months out of the year on the mile and a half of canals that go around the campus. We'll have bass fishing tournaments. I mean, it's just going to be a fun place to come and know that you can always do something different and, and, and fun. You mentioned volunteers uh, and employment. Um, I'd, I'd encourage people if you have a, a teenager or a college kid who's looking for some great, great uh, work during some of our peak times, we, we need umpires, we need concession workers, we need uh, facility workers. I mean, there's a lot of jobs. So you could just send a, a resume or, or link to, uh, to a, a LinkedIn page or whatever to, to careers at powerplexstl.com. And that'll help connect people to uh, job opportunities and get you in the queue and, and be able to be contacted as we start hiring uh, very close to opening later this year. And then we need a, a band of volunteers. When we do registration, we're trying to push through anywhere between 3,000 and 4,000 families. And if registration for multiple um, venues are going at the same time, it can get really hectic. So uh, we're looking for just uh, company ambassadors and volunteers who can work at some of the kiosks and promote some of the great venues, whether it's the zoo or the science center or, or the Cardinal game. Uh, volunteers working those booths will be extremely important. And and just be, you know, show people the hospitality of St. Louis. I, I think that's what's most exciting for all of us involved in this project. Um, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, the Ferguson effect is real. Um, St. Louis has been taking a beating in the public relation world since Ferguson. And we're going to get to show millions of people a year through a whole different lens what a great city St. Louis is. Um, not just when, where they go when they come, but just the hospitality they're going to have from the minute they hit our front doors and the kindness and the great, um, you know, spirit of St. Louisans and the, the kindness that people will show them while they're here and the appreciation. That's where our volunteers will be invaluable. We plan to have ambassadors um, for different clubs and different organizations. As they come in, you'll be assigned an ambassador and they're kind of like your concierge throughout the week. Uh, there's somebody you can call if you're looking for a good restaurant or you can, somebody you can call if you want to, uh, you know, know what uh, a party for 30 or 40 people should do. Uh, those concierges will all be able to give great advice and they're volunteers who just uh, want to interact with kids and young families and show them what a great city St. Louis is. So we'll be announcing those volunteer opportunities and we'll have a volunteer director as we get closer to opening at the end of the year. Um, but keep that in the back of your mind. If you're a retiree, or if you're somebody who's got some free time on your hands, we would love to see people come out. And, oh, you still got yeah. the movie theater there, right? Yeah, we do. We're, we're excited. We, we can't announce it yet, um, but we have a, a purchaser of that theater and they're going to be operating it at full tilt. They're also going to add some bowling lanes and some other great amenities to the, to the campus, which will... Um, just add even more activities for the family. So here's a stupid idea, another stupid idea. Maybe like a 10 minute little movie about St. Louis that people can go sit down in when they first get to the complex. 
you know what, that's a great idea. And also maybe to, to be at the front end of every movie as they go in there, maybe not 10 minutes, but at least a couple minute video to give them ideas. And again, we'll be working with Explore St. Louis and the Convention and Visitors Commission in St. Louis to, to really help us promote this whole region. This is a great opportunity. We're also, you know, three miles from St. Charles. There's lots of things to do in the historic St. Charles area too. So we want this to be a regional project that benefits, um, you know, everybody with 2.9 million visitors coming in to play sports. Uh, we know they're going to want to do a lot of other things while they're in town. I've been a big fan for a long time, whether it was St. Patrick's, whether it was SSM. Um, I know what you had to go through to get this thing up in St. Charles because there was a lot of rip where, where was it going to be? And um, last question for you. Best in Hazelwood, scenario. by the way, if they heard you say in St. Charles, they'd flip a, they'd flip a lid. It's, well, I know where, right. where it almost was, and, and so. Yeah, right, uh, right. Best case scenario, five years from now, what are you really hoping PowerPlex means nationally and in St. Louis? And again, thanks for your time. You know, five years from now, I hope people, number one, see what, um, what a community risk um, and a uh, community liability can be turned into. Don't give up on all these empty malls. There's ways you can repurpose them that are magical and can become a great community asset. So number one, that we are, we're looked at as one of the best repurposing and redevelopments in, in America for what to do with a 1.5 million square foot mall. And then secondly, I think it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the importance of us starting a conversation around the real importance and value of youth sports. Uh, I like for people to say, hey, I, I learned at an educational seminar or a coaches conference at the PowerPlex, a, a new way of coaching, a new way of looking at things and, and how not to get so uptight at that umpire who's a, you know, a, a veteran who's just looking for some part-time work or a grandpa who just loves the game and, you know, he didn't, he doesn't deserve a tongue lashing. He, he's just out there because he cares. He doesn't have a dog in this fight of who's going to win or who's going to lose. And if we can, if we can look back five years from now saying that we helped impact and make youth sports kinder and gentler and friendlier and, and really focused again on the, the real value of sport, which is teamwork and respect and, you know, having an attitude of gratitude every day, just the gift of walking on a ball field. You know, that's one thing I learned at Cardinal Glennon is that there's a lot of families that don't get that gift every day. Um, I think if this place can be that catalyst to, to make youth sports fun again and make it um, truly a value to the creation and development of good people, not just good ball players. Um, I will think the PowerPlex, regardless of whether it's financially um, successful, it will certainly have served its purpose for our ownership group that we touched and changed lives. And that's, uh, that's all you could ask for, for from any endeavor. Um, but no, it's not just, a, it's not going to be a sign on the wall out here. It's going to be our mission and we're going to live it every day. Well, as we have concluded the previous audio podcast, and I think you'll appreciate our ending with Ode. Thanks for your time this time. Till next time. Till next time. So long. So long. So as we go, adapt or die, it's not that big of a deal. But we're learning as we go along. If you have the wanting to be a part of our St. Louis 7 Again, they're on YouTube already. Just uh, look for the channel OT with Oliver. And if you want to see Dan's episode or any of the other past ones, St. Louis 7 is how you can find them. We've got the crib. We've got the media outlet. 
We're going to be doing a lot of them if things go as planned this week. And if you want to take three or four minutes and be a part of it, email me and I'll reach out on social media for others as well. Email otwitholiver at gmail.com. Not to be redundant, but as we do, thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.